The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb should point out, G-Max, extra spiffy today. You used to regularly wear sport coats and blazers just because. Yes. But uh, as much as changed in the pandemic, you know, there's no one here. We, you know, we don't see anybody in studio. We're, this studio is set up with cameras. I guess we're supposed to eventually be live on a, a video camera of some sort, but no one sees us. So when you walk in today with a sport coat, I'm like, whoa, what's with the getup? I love when you call it a getup <laughs> as well, because it makes it feel like a Halloween costume or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to today's health report revival, health report part two, we're calling it, St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Dr. John Dukas, who we had on the program earlier this week, we're doing a one hour long video presentation to talk about why you need to call an ambulance when you think you're having a heart attack and uh, all the associated uh, topics that go with that. So. I had to uh, dress up just a tiny bit, although I'm looking at my shirt because I get dressed essentially in the dark. <laughs> I'm looking at my shirt. My my suit is blue and black, and I thought I had a white shirt with an underlying blue pattern, Loren, but it's actually purple. I think it works. I think I'll be okay. I don't have time to go home between the show and when we uh, launch the the video seminar, so uh, I'm stuck with it now. Does purple and blue work now? I don't know. I have to admit, I just, I literally just dialed in because we were just having this conversation off air, which I think Brett ties into what we're doing at 645, um, about this new technology we're using for work and the acronym <laughs> that goes with it. And I got lost in all these channels that I have to assign. And also I go, Oh my gosh, it's 607. And I was just completely lost. So I'm sorry. Blue, purple, sure. Is that a good answer? Does that help? Wear it? I don't know. Fake it until you make it, McNabb. Oh, my Lord. I was going to fake it and just say, yes, great idea, Greg. And then I thought, what if he's asking me something super serious right now? Oh, my gosh. That hasn't happened in almost a year where I lost track of time. Darn you, technology. Sorry, you're yeah, off the hook. Producer Jeff Forte says to me three seconds before I have to turn on the microphone, I haven't heard from Loren yet. And I thought, well, oh. you're, on, you're on your own then, buddy. Cause what, do you, <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, a little... No, I know. <laughs> I just get this, uh, Loren, you're there, right? Loren? <laughs> Loren, you're there? And I was like, yes. Because I don't know if... Anyway, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, nothing to be sorry for. This is a great great way to start Thursday. <laughs> we're one day closer to Friday. Oh. So that's great. So yes, indeed, 645, we're going to have a conversation about jargon as it pertains to maybe your workplace or perhaps just the general jargon that we hear in the world, like synergy and think outside the box. And of course... Pivot, yes, the <laughs> pandemic has brought all kinds of new jargon. Mm-hmm. The word pivot, even the word unprecedented, has basically become jargon-ish. Uh, so if we want you to text us at 204-780-6868 about, you know, if there's jargon you hate, you can let us know. Has jargon ever created a barrier for you? Like, have you ever walked into the boss's office and they start explaining something to you and it's just a bunch of jargon and you, you walk out of the office even more confused than when you walked in. <laughs> well, especially we, we, if it's, oh, sorry, Loren, especially if it's say, something you should know. <laughs> well, that's just it. We had a meeting not long ago where in it, I'm like, God, 
no one's supposed to know it. And then somebody actually, thank goodness, asked the question, could you just clarify a couple things? And then they clarified, but with just similar acronyms. And then I'm Googling those acronyms, trying to figure out. And then finally, I was just like, you need to admit to somebody, you do not know what they're talking about because it was too much. <laughs> Anytime like, we have a meeting with uh, like the, the big wig executives, where they come in and we actually, like before when they would actually come in and they'd speak to us for 45 minutes, I'd just be standing there thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about right now. TMR, too much reflex, too many responses, (laughs) time me run. And then every time someone uses an acronym where you're not sure, you're just like... Now I'm down. Now I'm rabbit deep. Now deep hole of not trying to figure it out, and I've lost everything they're saying because I'm trying to see Timur. Timur. Maybe it's Timur. Timur. Tomorrow. Timur. The country. Tomorrow. Yes, I will be there tomorrow. No, that's not what we're talking about. I wonder if Google Translate has business speak as an option because I think some of sometimes we might need it and the acronyms are ridiculous. Someone on Twitter the other day said, "All right then, AMA." Keep it clean. I'm like, what? Did you have to Google AMA? I did. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. And I had no idea. Would have been the last thing that I would have guessed. Uh, A new... I, I did know. I the, had no no sense of what it might be. The internet speak thing, I always feel so old when something pops up and I don't know what it is. And I realize that the internet speak thing, uh, it continues to evolve and you see new acronyms. But I always think of Phil Dunphy, Lorraine yeah. and Modern Family. When <laughs> I he was said, just going to say, LOL, yeah. what did he think LOL was? Lots of love. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's laugh out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. What I, when at first... When LOL first appeared, I thought it was lots of laughs. Oh. So, I mean, it's the same thing, Sort I guess, of, yes. But it's not quite what it was. But so, it defeats the purpose if you're, especially with, say, Twitter or these spaces, you're supposed to go to, yes, cut down on the language. But then I have to Google the language the person's using. I still, with SMH, is that so much hate? I don't know. Shake what is my it? head, I think. Shake, oh. <laughs> shake, shake my head, yeah. I always like, oh, so much hate in that. <laughs> I have so much hate. That's outstanding. my head. <laughs> so much hate. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> I want to talk about jargon right now because uh, when, okay, as you may recall, 680 CJOB used to just be 680 CJOB as part of the Chorus Radio Network, but then we joined forces with Global Television, global news, and suddenly it was like worlds colliding with jargon because we had all of our own radio jargon, and then we had to learn all of this new TV jargon, and then the TV jargon was trying to overwrite the radio jargon, but then the radio side pushed back and said, no, you keep your jargon over here, we'll keep our jargon, and I think we've sort of come to a happy medium. But uh, then there's also the corporate side of the business, and <laughs> they're starting new technologies and new initiatives, and we <laughs> Greg and I were having a chat about all the jargon related to that, and we were like, I don't know what they're talking about. When they when they say that this is really important to the company, you're like, I don't know what that is, and I don't know how to access it. And uh, so we started laughing about jargon. So we wanted to have a conversation about jargon with you for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza. Text us at 204-780-6868. Is there jargon that you despise? Has jargon ever created a barrier for you? Like, left you more confused 
than when you went in, or maybe you've used jargon with someone like you that you shouldn't have, like a customer. Greg, for example, you were telling me about your restaurant days and how your serving staff would say things to customers that they really shouldn't. Yeah, I'm just going to go get you some more guac. Uh, how are you enjoying the chili con? How's that parm dip? Uh, we'll slide that under the salamander for you. We'll get that heated right up. But yeah, no. Guac is guacamole. That, I remember that from my Taco Bell days. Guac. <laughs> chili con was chili con queso, cheese con queso, cheese sauce, if you like. Parmesan cheese dip is the appropriate terminology for the dip that you get with your wings at Earl's. Not just parm, because that's what we would call it in the back. <laughs> and nobody, unless you've worked in the restaurant business, knows what a salamander is. So, uh, yeah, you always had to keep, coach that out of people not to use those terminologies that people just wouldn't get. I know we do it sometimes here on the air. Uh, every once in a while, it'll slip out uh, after the 7 news or after the 5 news. It's the 5 o'clock news, but... To shorten it, internally, sometimes we call it one or the other. So uh, you've got EBITDA in the business world. I have no idea what that is. FOLO, FOMO, FIFO, FILO, ROI, RFP. It's just all too much. Loren, you've got a clip here. Well, I'm going to play this uh, because it makes me laugh so hard in terms of how jargon is used as a sales pitch because you end up sometimes over the years, particularly people I know in sales, they'll have certain bosses and they're like, oh, I know how to get this trip. If I just say the right thing, I'll be in. So this is from 30 Rock. And I think they were trying to get a trip to Miami or something like that. They're uh, that show based in New York, kind of like a Saturday Night Live show. And so they presented their boss with this presentation. Cross-promotional, deal mechanics, revenue streams, jargon, synergy. That's the best presentation I've ever seen. Get started right away. <laughs> like those buzzwords, you know, they're just going to have them singing. And, you know, I spent different trips with the military in, in Afghanistan and Pakistan and elsewhere. And that makes sense to me when they have, you know, F-O-B, C-O-T. It's about saving lives and moving lickety split. Use those acronyms. You're, it's in a life-saving moment. But otherwise, in the daily workplace, like the acronyms and the jargon and all the rest, it really can drive you nuts. Particularly right now, the one that finally makes sense to me is let's move this offline which used to get said in meetings, you know, when it would go on a tangent and someone would, the boss would say, let's move this offline. And that made, that didn't make sense to me because I'm like, well, I'm not online right now. Although now meetings are online. So when someone says, we'll move this on, offline, I'm, I'm good with that. But every once in a while, there's just a, a word that c pops up that I just think I'm, I'm done with that. It makes me tune right out. Jeff Braun. Yeah, I spend a lot of my day, you know, we go through press releases that we get here and whether it's whoever it's from, whatever specific business they are in, they usually have their own jargon that they throw at us and, and you try not to put it on the air. You try to find, you know, the real words that would that mean the same thing so people can understand it. So it's a daily occurrence. And but the one good thing is in the world of television, the way we watch TV now has made that a lot easier because whenever you watch uh, like a cop show or a medical show or a spy show, they have all their stuff. But now I can put the subtitles on and see what are they actually saying and I can pause the TV and look it up so I know what it means. And uh, I mean, it takes, you know, three hours to watch a one-hour show like that, but it's been incredibly helpful because that stuff just flies over my head and it's so frustrating. Good for you, by the way, for going through those news releases and trying to come up with something a bit more colloquial for the listeners. Because, yeah, sometimes uh, we, we, we can get, get to writing stuff and just let that jargon slip into the story. Skylar Peters, what about you? 
Yeah, I just want to echo uh, Jeff's point a little bit because uh, I'm pretty still pretty new in this business, and sometimes I just uh, you know I kind of just take the word they they uh, gave me and I give it to the listeners, <laughs> and then I say it out loud usually in the microphone. I'm like, well, what what does that even mean? Like, what am I say? And if I don't know it, how do I expect someone that doesn't work at a radio station to know it? So uh, I I one day I was just talking to my buddies, and of course they're all 23 or whatever, and and don't care as much as I do probably, and. And they didn't even know what, like, the Prairie Mountain Health region was or, like, you know, what kind of region that is. And we talk about that almost every day with our COVID-19 updates. So I realized that sometimes you have to take a step back and, and look through it a uh, different lens to, you know, make sure everyone's kind of picking up what you're putting down. But the one that's really got on my nerves lately is uh, one you mentioned earlier, Brett, is unprecedented. It's been 11 months, guys. Uh, I've been working at home uh, largely. Yeah, I would say it's pretty darn precedented at this point, guys. Like uh, everything, I don't know, like nothing's really changing that that hasn't like already been turned upside down in the last month. So can we quit saying unprecedented? Just makes my skin crawl like when I hear people say it now. By the way, it's true because that's the word, sorry, Brett, that would be used like it was so rare. Like, you'd have right. to really think about when you're using it. And now you're right. Too much. This is unprecedented that I've interrupted. Go ahead, Brett. <laughs> and by the way, Skylar, you mentioned you're the C team. You're definitely not the C team in our books. Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. Just 30 minutes north on Highway 59. Visit southbeachcasino.ca for updates. And I can't believe I am saying this, but sometimes it's just meant to be. It's always meant to be, Brett, because today we are going home to Minnedosa. This morning we're going to learn about a company which saw the fruits of its labor help NASA's latest rover land on the planet Mars just last week. Work which is being done out of the world's best community, Minnedosa. <laughs> you might say their efforts exemplify Greg, perseverance. There's lowercase and uppercase P in perseverance. I see what you did there. Here's part of the story. Canadian Photonic Labs began working with NASA at the Jet Propulsion Lab and Naval Air Weapons Center in 2006. And there are so all sorts of acronyms attached to this that I've omitted, so it's kind of funny. I should have left them in. At the time, the Naval Air Weapons Center heard about the high-speed imaging technology, CPL, developed, which would aid in their research and development and subsequent testing of mission-critical events. This led to the installation of CPL's mega Speed, brand of high-speed cameras and data gathering, gathering rather control software on the supersonic naval ordnance research track, SNORT for short, at China Lake, California. President of Canadian Photonics Labs is Mark Wachowski. Good morning, first of all, uh, to you, Mark, and also congratulations. Thank you very much, and I just love that small town intro when you play that song. That's super cool. Well, we appreciate you taking time, and uh, obviously this is a big deal for, for us here in Manitoba, and Loren is a little bit extra excited today. Tell us a little bit more about your role or the role your company played in that mission-critical testing which helped safely land the Mars rover Perseverance. Yeah, you, you did a real good draw, job on your intro. Basically, uh, we manufacture the, the cameras and develop the technology here in Minnesota. There's software and hardware that go into these, and... And uh, uh, we supported the, the Weapon Center track 
with our equipment and provide tech support to them. And they, this track, they get to test a lot of cool stuff over the years, and we've just been really lucky to be part of it. Uh, uh, we get to go down, and, you know, you get your, your little uh, U.S. military badge that you wear, and, and uh, you get checked in and checked out, and they count head, head counts, so it's pretty cool. Um, and when these things get lined up on the track and you you see the rocket fire and then that that shock wave hits your chest like it's just it just kind of blows you away. Oh, like it literally blows you away. It's incredible, Mark, to just hear how this works. But also, you know, what's so crucial, I think, in these types of missions is that people aren't there yet. So you have to have these images that come back to Earth so you can see what's going on. And when you stop and think about the distance involved and the technology, the clarity of the images provided is incredible. When the first one started coming back, what's going through your mind when you think I helped, we helped do that? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of surreal because, um, it, it tends to be one of the projects you've done in the past because it takes a while for these things to come through into the mainstream media. And then you think, wow, <laughs> it made it. That's pretty cool. So, so in, in some sense, it's, it's just a part of, uh, of your job that you're doing. And then at, at the end, you start thinking and you think, wow, you know, you know, I'm really thankful for our team, our, our, our engineers and our computer science that we have employed here in Minnedosa that, that, you know, it all works. So, so it's always, there is a company there, but there's, there's employees behind the company that really make it work. It's not hard to imagine too, that this company could operate essentially anywhere that it wanted. So, so why Manitoba? Why Minnedosa? Hang on, Mark, feel free to say, why not Minnedosa? And then just end it there. (laughs) Yeah, why not? It's Manitoba's, uh, you know, just a beautiful paradise next to the lake. And, and you're right. There's a, there's a, a stigma of maybe it should be in, in Toronto. But uh, our kids, when, when we founded the company, our kids could walk to school. Uh, our youngest daughter, she got, uh, she really wanted to get to kindergarten all on her own, <laughs> you know, walk across the field. And then you get settled in the community. You're so close to, to the Minnedosa Lake is here. Uh, the best fishing ground in Manitoba, Sandy Lake. Uh, is close by Clear Lake, Riding Mountain National Park. Uh, it, it has a lot of attribute, attributes to it. Uh, Mark, for as small oh. as Minnedosa is, I spent a lot of time there. And, of course, my dad lived there for years. And and I've been admiring what you've been doing for a couple decades now, but I've never met you face-to-face. And yesterday was the first time I've ever spoken to you. So as, as small as Minnedosa is, it's big enough that you don't necessarily know everyone in town. Exactly. And and you cannot go without a good cup of coffee from the farmhouse or Rosie's good cinnamon buns at Rosie's Bakery. Like, you just can't beat that. Ah, I love the champion going on here. And, you know, Mark, I think when we look at this project and, and the technology that was used, it's created right here in Manitoba. You talked about how rewarding it was to see it come to fruition and think, oh, my gosh, we did that. What do you think other entre- entrepreneurs should hear? Because it's not just about settling in in other communities and not just going east or west, but maybe choosing to stay in Manitoba. But there's also just the idea of taking something that I'm imagining years ago just was just this pipe dream and turning it into reality. So what do you tell other people that might be getting into the, the business field about how to succeed? You know, Lauren, that's a good point. Because uh, years ago, I, I did a, uh, a bit of a program with the Canadian government. And the, the point I was trying to make is, uh, at that time is there's more to Manitoba than, than 
uh, agriculture and and uh, grain elevators and and things like that. Although they are the backbone of our country, don't don't get me wrong. But but you can shoot for the moon. There's just so many opportunities now, more so now ever than ever, because the world's almost gone flat again because of the fiber optic highway. It's just straight down the straight down the pipe. You can get to anywhere on the planet. So so just just do it. Well, you say shoot for the moon. You shot for Mars. You helped them get to Mars. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Mark, we very much appreciate the time. You know, you guys are fantastic. Thank you very much, and have yourself a great day. Mark Wahoski is the president of Canadian Photonics Labs in Minnedosa, Manitoba. Oh, Brett, if you don't turn into It's a Paradise into a promo right now. I'm just, I'm walking away. He said it all. I just, I don't know why he doesn't move to expand the operations or, or relocate them to Nipawa. Oh, just... don't even. Don't. Why Why you got to turn a good thing into a rivalry, huh? <laughs> I'm enjoying this from the sidelines this morning. I have to confess. So sweet. It is 745 on CJOB. By the way, if you want to see this technology in action, Greg tweeted it out at GMACWPG. We retweeted it from 680CJOB's Twitter. We've also linked it to our Instagram story at 680CJOB, where we would love for you to follow us if you don't follow us there yet. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it was just over a year ago the headlines started warning us about an unfortunate side effect, Loren, of COVID. Yeah, this was the story from Global last April. China's divorce rates rise as couples emerge from coronavirus quarantines. It was one of several stories talking about a divorce spike in that country and how it was really a warning to the rest of the lockdown world. And Greg... A year later, that is what we're seeing in many parts of the globe. And of course, it can be a daunting process, which is why Vexit is putting on a webinar today to help answer any questions people might have about divorce. Visit, Vexit, pardon me, is a local company connecting Manitobans with professionals. According to their data, 30% of requests over the past few months have been for family lawyers. Kareem Kulik is a family lawyer at Taylor McCaffrey, and before she joins that webinar at noon, she's answering some of our questions here on The Start. Good morning, Corrine. Good morning. So what are you hearing from your clients as they embark upon this uh, journey, which is, which is obviously not the, the highlight for anyone? Yeah, I mean, we're hearing from our clients that uh, obviously that uh, it's a stressful process, but then when you combine that with what we've all been living through for the last uh, year or so, that there's just an added layer of stress. And whether that's an added financial layer of stress because um, people have been losing their jobs or have been unserved or there's been uncertainty or whether that's the added stress of of kids and how kids are transi- transitioning between households and going to school. So there's definitely been an increase in um, the cases that we've seen and uh, in the stressors that are being put on uh, individuals. How does what's happening now compared to what you were seeing a year ago at the start of the pandemic? Yeah, so things have changed. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Cases were a little bit slower, I think, because a lot of people had the high level of uncertainty about what was going on, were kids going to be in school, what's going on with the economy, what could they expect. And so there was a bit of a lull at the beginning, and and the focus at that point generally was on changes to people's income and how that affected their support payments and what should be happening with kids in terms of transitioning between households and, and whether care and control schedules could remain in place. And uh, after everybody kind of realized that we were going to be in this for a while, um, the shift kind of focused to uh, 
going through the procedure like people normally would, except that more people seem to be contacting us. And whether that was because there's been an increase uh, in domestic violence and, and so a need to, to leave that those circumstances, increase in financial difficulties, um, or whether people who might have been contemplating separating that, that just sped up because of the uh, circumstances that people found themselves in. So definitely, I would say by about June or July, there'd been an uptake uh, in cases uh, and the number of files that we were seeing and, and how busy the profession seemed to be. And, and it hasn't really stopped. It's, it's continued into the new year. Kareem, we were talking about an hour ago just about what uh, another divorce lawyer in a story that we played from Global National talked about, you know, the acceptable risk during pandemics and how that might be weighing into decisions either that might have led to divorce with people arguing over the threat of the pandemic or now with what you do in working with families and in family court. I'm curious how the pandemic might weigh into decisions when it comes to custody or other. Right. Yeah. And so uh, early on in the pandemic, the the bench uh, or the court was very clear uh, to counsel and, and to the parties through uh, the decisions that they were making that they're not going to step in and second guess essentially what the government was doing. And so uh, parents wanted to bring cases forward or wanted to um, see if they could change custody because of circumstances or what uh, the parents' jobs were. Parents weren't fo- necessarily following the rules. And the court said, you know, it's not really our place uh, to do that. Um, we feel the government has the best information possible. And as a result of that, we are going to follow that. You know, having said that, if there are significant risk factors, such as uh, a family member has an increased risk of, of obtaining COVID, uh, or there's a risk to the child's mental health or social development or academic development by, say, going uh, in in person learning versus online learning, the court was going to look at that. And so early on, we had a lot of questions from clients about whether or not there was uh, the court would step in. Um, the court essentially said they would not. Uh, and so that's kind of continued going forward. And the other thing, uh, I guess, is that you could argue a case at the beginning of the pandemic when the um, infection rate was low and have one result and then argue it, say, in December when we had a higher uh, test positive rate and have a potentially different commentary or different result uh, because of that. And so everything is constantly changing because COVID is constantly changing and where the province is sitting uh, is constantly changing. You mentioned the fact that uh, distance education and electronic learning was a part of the landscape for a little while here, Corinne. What about uh, the court? We've heard in other parts of the country zoom is at play here is that happening in manitoba as well yeah so most recently uh as of january for uh court or sorry for for trials the court has moved to um they're using microsoft teams but an online platform that's only in circumstances where uh both parties are represented by counsel if one party does not have counsel then those trials unfortunately are being adjourned to a later point in time when they can return to an in-person hearing um, all other family uh, proceedings, except for child protection, which is dealt with a bit differently, but all other family proceedings are over the phone. And so uh, clients and lawyers are each given the call-in information, and we have the, whether it's a triage conference or a case conference or, or contested hearing, uh, is done over the phone, which uh, is good in that, that things, uh, matters can continue to move forward, but obviously poses other challenges of not being in the same room, not being able to read body language, uh, and knowing essentially when it's your turn to speak. Uh, so there have been some challenges with that. Kareen Kulik, a family lawyer at Taylor McCaffrey, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kareen, thank you. Thank you very much. I want to start this hour with a conversation about dress code because a BC dad is angry. His dad's turtleneck, his daughter's turtleneck, pardon me, and dress outfit 
was deemed inappropriate for school. Yeah, Brett, many people are angry after this Kamloops grade 12 student was sent home from school over concerns about dress code infractions. But she says her attire did not violate the dress code and she's being punished for other people's thoughts and behavior. John Hua of Global BC has more from Kamloops. After school, they gathered and chanted in support of how a fellow student chose to dress. All because Karis Wilson's teachers ruled this outfit was too risque. I put the turtleneck underneath and then I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think that they would have anything to say about it. Instead, the 17-year-old Kamloops student says she was sent home Monday from Norcam Senior Secondary in tears. I felt empty and I felt sad and I felt like an object. A dress with lace accent she's worn in public many times before, supposedly reminded both a female teacher and male teaching student too much of lingerie. I know conservative clothing when I see it and I know that my outfit was not showing anything. Not to wear clothing that is distracting to teaching or learning. Wilson's father, Christopher, calling out the school's dress code on social media. That might make them think sexual thoughts about you and that's not okay, so you need to change. In a statement, the Kamloops Thompson School District writes, we are also concerned about these allegations and are treating them seriously. The incident is currently under review. We will not comment on the incident specifically. Someone, just because they don't like your outfit, should not be able to send you home and affect your education just because they are sexualizing you. Many say they understand the need for a dress code, but what's deemed as distracting needs to be addressed. Women are always taught to cover up, whereas men should be taught to control themselves and control their thoughts. Wilson says it doesn't matter if she wears this dress or her usual cotton sweats. It will take a while for her to feel comfortable in the classroom again. John Hua, Global News. I bet it will take a while. And you know, that comment near the end there about the idea of, of what has been perpetuated to be the norm, that women have to dress a certain way and that men have to control their thoughts in itself is inherently sexist. And then, of course, dress codes in general too often come across as discriminatory or sexist. And they send that message that, that there's body shaming to the women. And then on the other hand, what you're wearing might be promoting sexual harassment. Now, that's not necessarily what the teacher was saying here. The word that was used that it was that it might be a distraction. But the message overall is that the distraction is the fault of the girl and what she's wearing, not the thoughts of anyone else. And so there's so much more to this conversation, but I do think it's time to really revamp or change the way we address dress codes in schools, because at the end of the day, the policy is really hurting what the what the forward movement should be for women and gender norms in society. And so I, I, I don't even want to talk about what she was wearing or even show a picture of it, because at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter. And you know what? I think for parents, too, it's something you need to really be proactive about and say, you want to be you, go ahead and be you, and we'll deal with the fallout afterwards. Uh, I, this one, I, I can't make that noise enough, Brett. You can read more at globalnews.ca. We'll throw a link up to this on our 680CJOB Instagram so you can watch the video as well. And see for yourself, uh, I didn't see anything. I kept waiting for the you know the shooter drop is like okay where's the outfit that's uh, a problem yeah. and, and you know there are there are things to teach kids and all sorts of people throughout life about what might be acceptable when you go to work in terms of is today a suit day is today a dress shoe day is today a day that i need to not wear my shorts or you know those kinds of things but when it starts to come into that thing about it being distracting and there's that maybe a sexual connotation to it that's where greg i get fired up yeah there's a reasons why a reason why casual fridays disappeared at a lot of 
of workplaces is because people didn't understand the definition of casual. And that's completely different than in this circumstance where it would appear. And I agree with you with regard to describing what the young woman was wearing. But I would say this. She has worn this outfit in public plenty of times and even took an extra step to wear an extra layer of clothing. In my mind, it would appear to appease the dress coat. And in fact, she she took it into consideration and now is being penalized for it. I, I think it's complete complete weakness on on the part of the school here. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping manage, or pardon me, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Look at that, I'm reading it, and then I, it says Mr. Furness, but I said Credit Aid because I am a robot. Question of the day is brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Credit Aid's good too, though. Question of the day at cjob.com has to do with housing, buying a house. If you wanted to go out and buy a house today, would you be able to? And your options are, yes, I've got enough savings. Or, I'm close, but I need to save more. One day maybe, but years away, or I'll never be able to save enough. We just put that up about 15 minutes ago, and so far, just looking at the results at cjob.com, leading the charge. We've got 67% who say, yes, I've got enough savings. 16% say I'm close. 16% say never. And uh, no votes yet for one day maybe, but years away. That's, Hmm. I think, where I would put myself. I would like to maybe get a condo one day, but I'm years down the road from that. We'll throw that up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. You say, hmm. Greg, what? Uh... Well, I'm just, I'm impressed. I think you know how I feel about home ownership and uh, what it does for you long term. And so I'm glad to see that there are a large percentage of people answering this question that feels though they're in a position to to make that move. That that, that makes me happy. And uh, I think too as well, one of the things that, that, that we notice sometimes about our the results at cjob.com is that uh, I think some of the, the older members of our audience weigh in at cjob.com and maybe some of the younger weigh in on Twitter. And that's not a criticism or, or, or I'm not make, making any sort of assertions or opinions on that. That's just the way it is. So we'll get it up on Twitter as well to see if there's a difference as well. And maybe I'll even put a, an abridged version on Instagram, just a simple yes or no. In the meantime, we got lots of feedback on the dress code story we told you about at 8.07. So we'll share some of that feedback in our next segment. But right now, we want to pose the question to you, what should be done to stop Canadians from skirting the quarantine rules when flying home after international travel? Yeah, these rules went into effect this week, and I think you th- a lot of people thought, okay, great, that's going to be what either stops international travel or at the very least catches any COVID cases when they enter this country. But we're asking that question about what more needs to be done because authorities have shared with us that some travelers have been ignoring that order to go straight to the mandated quarantine hotel instead of going home after they return to Canada. And so as Global Sean O'Shea explains, the new airport quarantine rules, it actually relies really heavily on the honor system. Since Monday morning, it's the law. International passengers arriving in Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, and here in Toronto must go straight from the airport into a quarantine hotel whether they like it, or in this case, not. I literally have no choice. I don't want to be here. The new rules have few fans. Three-day hotel quarantine, it's a joke. 
but defying the rules wouldn't be right, this Canadian traveler told us. No, I, w I don't want to break the rules because everybody has to be safe. You know, I know they're doing it for a reason and, you know, we all have to do our part. But police admit that on Monday and Tuesday, some travelers did refuse. Uh, the federal government has now put in place quarantine measures that are designed to protect our community. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, that, uh, that what you're describing might be occurring. Some on social media saying they'd rather pay a fine than obey. And I hope that people do abide by um, the, the new stricter guidelines when it comes to um, your responsibilities. But if someone doesn't choose to follow the rules here at Pearson Airport, police won't stop them. Enforcement is entirely in the hands of the Public Health Agency of Canada, which declined our request for an on-camera interview. Up until Sunday, Peel Police handed out 49 tickets to travelers who refused a mandatory COVID-19 test at the airport. That's an $880 provincial fine. But now with the stricter hotel quarantine in effect, they're not charging anyone. Someone could ignore the quarantine rule and just go home. Tempting, some say. I feel like it. <laughs> but you risk a $3,000 fine or more, the cost of breaking the federal quarantine rules. And even though police won't stop you here, government inspectors could find you later. This woman says the quarantine isn't so bad. Three days, it's okay. Not 14 days. You must stay at the quarantine hotel until the results of the airport quarantine test come back and the balance of that 14 days at home. Inconvenient, pricey, unpopular, but most travelers are doing it. Oh boy, oh boy. I, I had no idea this was optional until this morning when I heard them discussing this on the shift on my way into work this morning. And it absolutely knocked me off my chair, obviously figuratively speaking, because I was driving my vehicle on the way in. But my thoughts the other day when we were discussing this were, if people were so good at honoring the honor system, we wouldn't be in this situation. We wouldn't have to mandate this. I I'm sort of shocked here, realizing that people can just go, you know what? No, I'm not going to follow that rule. I will see where, how this plays out down the road. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of the issue is a bit about some different information that you're receiving and what people might think about what is required of them when they come to Canada. And so I just we just got a text now saying it doesn't make sense. If you have to have a COVID negative test before you get on the plane, why do you have to quarantine? And so I'm just trying to read through the rules of the government website now. But if you get on that plane, you must show proof of your test results, even if you have tested negative. And that's why they're saying, you know, on that plane, you could catch something. And so there's a bit of confusion about what's required when you return. But at the end of the day, there's nobody standing at the gate saying, where did this you way. come from? Mexico? Get over here, right? Uh, yeah. Costa Rica? Over here. Europe? Over here. Uh, Asia? Over here. There, that's not happening. And so, I don't know. If you're landing and you, you don't want to do it, yeah, you could still be fine for sure. But do they have the people to follow up on that? If it's at the hands of the public health agency, I'm going to argue they don't. But are they going to be making those phone calls, checking on you, and then finding you when they find out you went to home versus the hotel. And on the other hand, man, kudos to the one, the woman who dropped the F-bomb there but was still going to the hotel. She's angry as all heck, Brett, and still doing what she's been told to do. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, the headline at globalnews.ca reads, BC dad angry, daughter's turtleneck and dress outfit was deemed inappropriate for school. We shared the story from John Waugh just after 8 o'clock. And there's a there you can see the picture on our Instagram, 680CJOB. Follow us on Instagram. We've put it up in our story. She's wearing a white turtleneck under 
uh, black dress, which is a bit low cut, I guess, and it, it's kind of lacy in spots. But when I first looked at this, uh, and even now looking at it, I, there's there's nothing inappropriate to me. Uh, but you can feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868 because we are getting... Lots of feedback on this, uh, Loren McNabb. Yeah, we've had some liter- listeners weigh in that what she's wearing is in effect a slip. And yes, she put it over top of a turtleneck, but it's a slip. I'd argue I've got camisoles. And in case you don't know what that is, that's like a tank top that you'd wear under a blazer or on its own that have that lace component to it. So is it the lace that's making people upset? Is it the lace that has connotations to it? You know, So we're getting a wide range of feedback on both sides of the equation. This text uh, came in uh, not too long ago, and it says, if a guy has a fetish about women in sneakers, should we all have to refrain from wearing them so as not to distract him? I'm not responsible for someone else's behavior or lack of control of their sexual desires. This situation perpetuates the narrative that what a woman wears means she was asking for it, and it's her fault for that sexual assault or other unwanted behavior. And that's, uh, I think that's part of the conversation that the, that was even brought up in the story. Well, hang on, so now it's what I wear that's causing you to think a certain way, and now that's my problem. This outfit, first of all, what she has on is irrelevant to me because the conversation is bigger than that. It's about just the clothes we wear and, and the thoughts it supposedly conjures up, sexist and discriminatory. But if you want to just look at this outfit, I don't, I don't have an issue with it at all. And I'm sorry that she was even made to think that what she was doing was wrong. Well, it's the language and the rule that is bothersome. Distracting to teaching or learning. Well, that's not an issue for this young woman. That's an issue for the people who are sexualizing her based on what she's wearing. Yeah, and the the no. (laughs) Okay, the notion that adolescent boys are not going to, for example, not going to be distracted by anything, anything. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like when I was in high school, it didn't matter what they were wearing. If there was a girl I liked in class, I was distracted, and probably vice versa. Fair to say, Loren. Yeah, I think it happens that maybe at a different age and there might be different hormones and different things going on with your bodies at different times. But for sure, you're, you're just, when, when, when you start to feel anything towards male, female, whatever, uh, your orientation is, you're, you're distracted sometimes if they look at you, they pass you a note, you set, get to stand together in the lunch line. I mean, for God's sakes, like what, what they wear is, is, should not be part of the conversation. And, and I, and again, it comes down to the language, as you say, it's a distraction. Well, that's, a, it's the teacher's problem. It's not that student's. And if she goes to school feeling good about herself and even had the wherewithal to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to put a turtleneck underneath this dress because then nobody should have a problem with it. I, I'm, to me, she's a strong, confident woman that felt good in that. And then she was made to feel something else. And I think that's the real shame here. We bounce this one out. Uh, this is an interesting text that says dress code has been solved all over the world at school except North America. Schools need to have a uniform. Mm-hmm. It also removes the financial stigma. Greg, what do you think of that? My kids had uniforms for the first seven years because of where they went to school. I loved the uniform. I didn't necessarily think anything of it um, until it was, yep, this is what they're going to have to wear. And then I thought about all the benefits. And uh, I would agree. There is that benefit as well with regards to economic class and where you fit in. But then, of course, uh, we were talking about shoes yesterday. And then the the whole that all gets thrown out the window based on the shoes that the kids are wearing and uh, that sort of thing. But no, it is a great equalizer. Do we need that equalizer? Uh, Some would say yes. 
I think it's, you know, I've thought about that a lot over the years because even just when we grew up, right, we talked about the shoes yesterday and your favorite pair of shoes when you were younger, and you're right. Even if you had a uniform, you might still have the world's best Nikes or the $300 leather boots or something like that. So that's hard to control the entire economic equation. But there are many families out there that that struggle just to keep clothes on their kids, and then you have to add in the brand names that are part of that. And I think about the fact in our family we had two rotating Club Monaco's because four Club Monaco's just weren't doable. And that that was the cool thing, right? And so you're trying to find that balance in a family of giving your kids something that's special, but not necessarily being able to afford all that's special. And so I, 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 part of me does like the argument of a uniform, but then Brett, I think about you hit 18 and you go to university and that's all thrown out the window and isn't school all about helping our kids enter the real world. Okay. Here's one uh, that I'm curious about. Is it, is there a spot where you would draw the line, Loren, where you would say, okay, that's, that's not appropriate. Uh, I'm, I'm, t- I'm trying to think of a scenario. I mean, obviously, if, they, if it was a bra and underwear, you know, like there's certain extremes that you'd say someone texted in saying if a boy wears an underwear to school, shouldn't he be sent home? Yes. If he shows up in his boxers. I mean, there that's are, indecent. That's indeed. There's a there's a different argument to be made there. Personally, right now, I'm trying really hard to concentrate on the idea that I should be raising boys who treat women with respect and don't look at what they're wearing as an invitation to anything. And so it's hard, you know, it's a case by case basis. And so I appreciate your question, Brett. I, I think I'd have to have it presented to me before I thought, Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of ambushed you with it. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm trying to think more too also because, um, I, I can't think of any of the stories I've seen over the years where I thought that person should be wearing it. I think last year there was a story of a girl in a tank top, Greg, and it was just a tank top and a skirt or something, and it was because of the shoulders and the, the size of the straps. Like, the straps were too thin. And I thought, oh, my God, what are we bringing out a ruler at schools now to yes. s- decide whether the strap is big enough or not? And so right now, there's a, maybe an indecent thing as you raise about if I'm just going to school in my underwear. But Listen, uh, I graduated from high school in 1987. And there were rules for boys and girls with regards to how long their shorts could be if you were going to wear shorts in the summertime. They had to be a certain distance between the cuff of or the end of the short and your knee. And tank tops weren't allowed for guys or girls in my high school. So, I mean, there are dress codes, but I guess the question comes back to, are they enforced equitably? Here's the thing on this on this story at Global News as I'm scrolling down they have a poll embedded in this page do you think this outfit is inappropriate for high school uh, so I had a look at it and the results are 81% say no it is not inappropriate 19% say yes it is inappropriate Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We are excited about our 935 segment because we get to visit with one of our favorite guests, Kelly Keene, author, financial consumer advocate, media star, someone who usually brings us donuts when she can visit us in studio, which unfortunately she can't what, do that What, is the today. mail broken? <laughs> I dare you to ask, ask her. her. I'm going to ask her. <laughs> Hasn't heard a skip? 
You know, DoorDash can't can't call O Donuts and get those to you. You haven't been able to pivot <laughs> dramatically enough to find a way to get us donuts. Yeah, this is unprecedented that you're not going to get donuts this time, guys. Think outside the box, Kelly. Come on, let's have some donut synergy here. Uh, jargon, by the way, is the subject of our contest. Santa Lucia Pizza. Gift card up for grabs, $20 worth in our next segment based on your texts on jargon. But we want to talk right now, Loren, about digital learning. Yeah, and Hal Anderson just brought up on a, one of our news calls that we had not too long ago this morning about the fact that it's digital digital learning day, February 25th is Mark's Digital Learning Day, and it's basically embracing and celebrating how technology has helped us learn and, and change the way we do things. And I think in this year, we can all agree it most certainly has for the good or bad. And it particularly talks about technology in the classroom and the impact it's had there. And so, of course, with remote learning and laptops and Teams and webinars and all the things that we've all been doing, we thought we'd ask our listeners, what's the piece of technology or how technology maybe has changed the way you've done certain things that you've liked? or perhaps hated. So I was saying to you guys, I was at the doctor yesterday, you make an appointment in advance, you sit in your car, you call, say you're there, you go in. You're not sitting in that wait room with a hundred other coughing people. I'm in and out. And I thought, I wonder if this will stick around. I've signed financial papers in recent months where they came to your door and there was a different type of technology used to authenticate that signature. And I thought, huh, that just saved me a trip. And then of course we were talking about how divorce uh, rates are up as a result of this pandemic. And we were speaking with Taylor McCaffrey family lawyer, Kareen Kulik, earlier about the fact that technology is also playing a role in these divorce proceedings. For trials, the court has moved to, um, they're using Microsoft Teams, but an online platform. That's only in circumstances where uh, both parties are represented by counsel. If one party does not have counsel, then those trials, unfortunately, are being adjourned to a later point in time when they can return to an in-person hearing. Um, all other family uh, proceedings, except for child protection, which is dealt with a bit differently, but all other family proceedings are over the phone. And so uh, clients and lawyers are each given the call-in information, and we have the, whether it's a triage conference or a case conference or, or a contested hearing, uh, is done over the phone, which uh, is good in that, that things, uh, matters can continue to move forward, but obviously poses other challenges of not being in the same room, not being able to read body language, uh, and knowing essentially when it's your turn to speak we deal with that one here on the start, that whole notion of knowing when to speak. That's one of the benefits of being in the studio together, being able to put up your hand and, and acknowledge one another. But listen to this technology. You guys uh, know about Carvana. They're the company that invented the automobile vending machine. Oh, there are a few of these around the United States that are seven, eight, nine stories tall. And basically you shop online and you find the vehicle that you want. And then they get the vehicle to this dispensary point, which is uh, basically a glass tower. They send you a giant token. You put the token in the machine and then your vehicle magically finds its way down to the ground. It dispenses your keys, all the documents that you need to take ownership and off you drive. Well, now they're doing it inversely. You can actually sell your vehicle exactly the same way. Carvana will accept you. You go to their website. This is in the United States. They're not in Canada yet, as far as I know. But you put in your license plate number, details about your vehicle. They make you an offer on your car. You accept it or not. And then they come and they pick it up. They drop off a check and they take your vehicle away. You don't have to dingle, deal with a single salesperson. It's absolutely incredible what we've managed to figure out 
with regard to contactless anything. That's interesting. I think for me, one of the things that I, I hope doesn't become sort of a permanent shift is, is replacing that, that personal touch Mm -hmm. or that ability to go in and talk to somebody with these online things. Like I got a call yesterday from my cell phone provider and I'm actually really glad they called it. Normally I wouldn't even answer it, but when I called and I reckon the number was identified as I'm with Bell Canada. That's my company. And it said Bell. I thought, well, I better answer this because I was, I was wondering if they were calling to say, you haven't paid your bill in three months. Um, but I didn't miss a bill payment and they, they just wanted to check in on my plan and they, it turns out they were able to save some money and I, and I, I've been paying for the, I pay the extra insurance. Uh, because I'm clumsy and I break things, so I pay that ex- that protection, and it, it's paid off for me in the past. Where I got a brand new phone, like at the, the in the final month of a three year contract, because I was paying for that extra protection. But I'm almost out, and it's almost time for a new phone. And I thought I shouldn't. Why do I need this? Like if I smash my phone tomorrow, I'll just go get a new one. I won't I'll call upon the deductible for th- anyway. So they wiped that out. But then he said, if you want a new phone. We could do it right now, or, or you can order it online and they'll just ship it to you. But I, I don't want to do that. I still want to go in. I still like because sure. I need to look at it. I like to see it. I like to touch it before I make a decision. So I hope that I don't lose the ability to be able to walk in somewhere. Yeah, me too. And make my decision accordingly. No, I think I think there's so many components to shopping that needs to stick the same. And I think there's an argument to be made when you mentioned that personal touch, but I think about when they moved, so many companies moved to the automated voicemail when you call, right? Push one for this, push seven for that. I did not get your reply. Hit star. And you're like, oh my God, could somebody just talk to me? Like this could have been sorted out in about 30 seconds if you had just answered the phone. And I know that's about money and I, and I guess I understand that, but there, there's both sides to this. I, there have been so many things where I thought, why haven't we been doing this before? And then there's others I think for sure we have to hit pause on and say, how valuable is that human interaction when we go to do things versus always turning to technology? Well, I'm not going to speak against the IVR technology that you were so eloquently describing with regard to press one for this, press two for that, because I used to sell that technology. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a big part of my life for a yeah. couple of years. Sometimes and it's like 97 no, options. It's like option number eight. Yeah, no. And I'm like, holy cow, still not my option. Like, well, but what that did, I think for a lot of businesses, you're seeing it come full circle now. And so a lot of businesses have recognized the fact that consumers want that personal touch. And I think... For as much as the online business has taken off and exploded over this last year, there are going to be people craving personal consultation, places where you can go and get advice from a human being and and have help from a human being. And I think there's going to be a genuine opportunity for businesses for as much as you had to have a website and you had to do e-commerce for the last year, I think you need to be ready to be able to provide stellar in-person personalized service for when this pandemic is over. Let us know at 204-780-6868, the digital component of the last year that has been a maybe a good change for you or maybe not a good change. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
We have time, I think, to read two text messages here, so I'm going to just get rid of this second one that I had put out, uh, you guys. We're just communicating on the fly. We're all in separate rooms, so sometimes we have to kind of just sort of do things live on the air. We were asking you to text us about jargon at 204-780-6868. gift card from Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs, and uh, Loren will get you to read the winning text in a moment. But, Greg, did you see this one from Jill? About uh, New Zealand jargon? Yes, and uh, I have no New Zealand accent experience whatsoever, so I will not uh, go down that road. If you want crazy, some crazy jargon, go to New Zealand. My hubby is a Kiwi, and by far this saying took me a couple of years to fully grasp its meaning. Sweet as. It's sweet as, bro. The Canadian equivalent as still, as far as I know, and, or can tell is it's all good. Or in Australia, I think they say no worries. I would repeatedly ask to know what sweet as meant. Sweet as what? I would demand <laughs> as I was almost banging my head against a wall in frustration. It's simply sweet as. <laughs> it doesn't sound, it does sound like you're saying the other thing, though. Yes, it sweet. does. Maybe and that's the origin. That's kind of what I was wondering, if maybe it was born out of that and they just found a way to sanitize it ever hmm. so slightly by removing one of the S's from the word in question. So that was a good one. That got me laughing. Uh, but, Loren, uh, we had the, I think our winning text came in, like, right out of the gate when we first mentioned this at around quarter after six. Yes, yeah, 6.17 a.m. This is the winning text from Joanne, and we had been talking just before that, not just about jargon, Brett, but about acronyms in texting and Twitter and all the rest, and we were laughing about the scene in Modern Family where Phil Dunphy says, LOL, I'm a super hip dad. LOL means lots of love. And Joanne texts to say, I'm so glad you brought up lots of love, Loren, because I was finally told how insensitive I was after a close friend poured out her soul, and I ended up my response with, LOL. She said, wow, how cold are you? Well, you can imagine how surprised I was when I thought I was being so kind. My children and most everyone I know who knows about this still LOL about it. <laughs> Stupid technology, Joanne Tex. And then she adds, P.S. Apparently WTF does not mean, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> either. That kind I, of gonna, I think it own. should, though. I'm going to start adding that. Whenever you guys have an idea via text, I'm just going to write WTF. And you have to decide whether I think the actual <laughs> meaning or whether I think it's fantastic. And then you can decide whether or not GFY means good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't? Yes. <laughs> no, no it, doesn't. it does not. <laughs> if you're not busy later, you know what you can do. Oh, SMH, so much hate. <laughs> That's not it either. I can't even remember what it's supposed to be. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we've been talking jargon this morning. And this was triggered by the fact that, you know, we get we hear a lot of jargon in our business to the point where sometimes we don't even know what they're talking about. Like our bosses or their, the executives are talking about these things that are important to the company. We're like, I don't know what that means. So I'm not listening anymore. And uh, we've been having fun this morning. Well, I'm going to throw some jargon off you right now, some radio-related jargon. Sometimes there's a term that goes back a while. If you're having a good show, we're cooking with gas today. And that's how it's felt. It feels like, feels like we're cooking with gas. Well, it's <laughs> the hit time to slam on the brakes. Record scratch because the phones have gone down no! again. 
Oh, technology is the best, isn't it? Yep, that's twice in a week. Just mm-hmm. as we were anticipating speaking to one of our favorite guests, our friend Kelly Keene, who is a consumer adv- advocate on finance matters. She's an author. She's updated her 10th book, Talk Money to Me, COVID edition. But uh, Jeff Fortier in Master Control is feverishly working with our team of crack engineers to try to get this sorted out. Oh. What does crack engineers oh. mean? Oh, oh. Are we going to get a thumbs up here from Jeff Forche? We got it already. Beautiful. And as we mentioned, she is one of our favorite guests, hands down. She makes what can be a tremendously difficult topic to discuss palatable, dare we say, enjoyable. You know what's more palatable? Then finance talk, Brett McGarry. What's that? Donuts. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Keene's middle name is Money or Donuts around here, and her mission is to make Canadians feel good about it. As an award-winning, best-selling author of over 10 books, as you mentioned, Brett, covering topics ranging from personal finance, the psychology of money, behavioral economics for women, and finance to avoiding identity identity theft and fraud. She knows what's on the hearts and minds of Canadians when it comes to taking care of their money. And her latest book, Talk Money to Me, has a special COVID-19 edition available now, McNabb. Yeah, so of course we want to say good morning to author, personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, consumer advocate, Kelly Keene. And good morning, Kelly. Good morning, my friends. Oh my gosh, what an introduction. I'm sorry I don't have donuts there for you, but well, the sweetness, the love is coming through the phone lines. Drones. We're glad you apologized because Greg, about an hour ago, was thinking to himself, you know, normally she comes to studio. That means we're not going to have donuts. Does she deliver? And, you know, we just wanted to throw that at you for next time. Mm-hmm. You Tim know. Horton drones, I think, are next. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm on it. Well, we want to we want to joke a little bit because we want to just put a little bit of levity in this conversation, Kelly. Or, because this is the time of year. I mean, I got a note from my financial advisor the other day. Just a reminder, you know, if you want to look into some RRSPs, and I I have to be honest, I deleted it because I just didn't want to <laughs> think about it. And I will, and I'll deal with it. But you know, the de- time to deal with it is coming up within the next few days. And so we want to talk about RRSPs, but we also want to talk about the fact that you know there's so much going on in Canadian society right now. We've had a real estate marketing marketing boom. We have Canadians who are struggling to find jobs or hoping to return to jobs. And so at the end of the day, at this time of year, at any time of the year, there's really no one-size-fits-all financial advice, is there? No, there really isn't. It's so true. And and that's hilarious that you hit the delete button, Loren. Um, but yeah, a little bit of levity, exactly, because you know what? Always it's such a dark cloud when we're talking about finance, and it's always like we feel like, someone's finger wagging at us all the time. You're doing it wrong. You're not paying attention. You're... And so, yeah, it's like, yes, RSP season is right around the corner. It may or may not be right for you. It's not the end of the world if you don't have the money or can't get your contribution this year. The room hangs around for you. But having said that, it would behoove you to take a few minutes and just figure out if it is right for you because it's just going to be more money in your pocket at tax time. So, you know, that's why it is important. But um, you're right, guys, like so much is weighing on the hearts and, and minds of Canadians. So it's, uh, you know, having a curiosity about your finances, about, about um, you know, taking away that judgment. And I think that's, that's the most important way to start. Well, you mentioned the RRSP, that deadline coming up on Monday. 
and the, the instruments that most of those RSPs invest in are doing quite well right now. And so that might be some added incentive. But I wanted to read a text from loyal listener Wade, if I could, Kelly. He, he says okay. this, We decided for our boys that we would stop buying them birthday presents and take that money and put it into an RRSP. That way they can have savings and a tax break. Also taking that money... Uh, we use towards Christmas presents and adding that towards their RRSPs. How, how do you think uh, about that, or what do you think about that as a strategy? Okay, well, that's so cool. Wade sounds like an amazing dad. That's fantastic. So a couple of things that you might want to dig into. So like you said, Greg, um, you know, being really clear on that an RSP is not an investment. It's like think of it like a garage and you still put cars in that garage, if it's mutual funds, stocks, bonds, you name it, ETFs. So what I want Wade to dig into is, you know, is that the right garage for his kids? Love what he's doing, um, but now, first of all, his kids would need to be um, over 18, so I'm just curious about that. And do they have, um, you know, a big, a big incentive of the RSP is that you get that tax deduction, and the tax deduction is based on what your tax rate is. So I just wonder how big his kids' tax rates are right now and if that's the best garage for him, for them, excuse me. So you can see where I know it gets a little bit complex and we don't really know uh, about all of these things, so we get a little intimidated. Um, but, guys, it's worth leaning into the discomfort. You know, like maybe you've been baking bread during the pandemic or taking up a new hobby. We're willing to fail and be a little uncomfortable, but we get so scared when it's our investment. So Wade's doing the right thing. He's in there. He's got his, his kids in the market. Now it's good for him to maybe check in with an advisor to make sure that that's the absolute best strategy moving forward as well. well the contrib- contribution deadline is Monday, March 1st, and RSPs may be an example of something not everybody can consider. Uh, RSPs, a savings tool that more of us uh, should be taking advantage of? Well, Brett, and that's the thing. It's like because there's this deadline, people start getting panicked. The financial industry's done a great job educating us on RSPs, but I don't think it's good of a job of really helping you identify if it's right for you. So let's break it down. If this is not your best income earning year, it may or may not be the best year for you to go in, although you can defer the tax deduction to a better year uh, where you have a higher tax bracket. Um, if you don't have any emergency savings, this is really important. Don't just chase the RSP for the tax deduction because, guys, so many people had to take money out of their RSPs because of COVID. Um, no, no, no judgment there, but it just meant a quadruple whammy. Because if you take money out of your RSP, you don't, let's say you're taking $1,000 out, you don't get 1000 in your hands. The government withholds tax. You may be selling at a loss you lose that contribution room forever, and you may pay more tax next year. So you really want to make sure if you're going into the RSP, you don't need that money unless you don't need it for retirement unless you're a first-time home buyer or going back to school. There are some special provisions um, for you to take out money from your RSP for, for those kind of things. One of the questions a listener just asked, Kelly, and I have to say I have this often myself, and I should know better. I should know how to work out the equation of the formula, but they are asking, is it better to get an RSP because you get taxed later or when you, or 
or when you take it out. And so you, you're going, you're making that argument. I will make some tax savings this year or next year with that RRSP. Uh, or will I be hit and dinged later? And so how do you, is there a formula to figure out whether it makes sense to do it now or later? That is a great question, and, and, and you shouldn't know that, Lored. Like It is actually a complex question and probably one of the reasons why there are financial planners out there. I'm, I'm not one. Um, it, it, it can be difficult, I'll be honest, because you're right. So when you put money into the RSP, you get that tax deduction now. It grows tax-deferred, but when you start taking it out at retirement, you're going to have to pay tax on that. So the idea is that you know, if you keep reinvesting the tax deduction, you have that compounding, it's growing tax deferred, and then when you retire, ideally, you're in a lower tax bracket and you're not going to pay as much tax. But that's not necessarily the truth. You could have a great pension, your spouse could have a lot of assets, and your family income is so much that it actually could have you been clawed back from government benefits like OAS, the old age security that, that you know, you deserve, you've paid into that um, through your taxes. So it does get a little bit complex, I will admit. So what you want to do is, um, you know, especially if you're 10, 15 years from retirement, ideally sit down with, with you know, a, a financial planner and, and ask these complex questions like, what do you think your income is going to be at retirement? How much tax are you going to pay? And maybe, yes, there are cases where it's better to not go into the RSP. That's a very valid point. Well, we've been talking jargon and some abbreviations that have become popular in our communications uh, over the last several years, Kelly. And one uh, that I think uh, I like to ask you about is TSFA, Tax-Free Savings Account, or TFSA. I guess I got that uh, backwards. I think TSFA has to do with transportation. Um TFSA. What are the benefits there, Kelly? Yes. So again, you're right. So much jargon, and I hate that the government named it that because it creates so much confusion because banks are out there advertising, oh, you can get a percent and a half on your TFSA. And people think, well, that's garbage. Why would I bother? So remember I said that the RSP is a garage? You still have to park cars in your garage. The TFSA is also a garage. It's just a tax shelter. You can still put stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, bank accounts in there, but the tax treatment is different. That's the only difference. And also how much you can put in. You can put in a lot more in the RSP garage than the tax-free savings account garage. So when you put money in there, you don't get a tax deduction. It truly grows tax-free. And when you take it out, it's truly tax-free. It's actually phenomenal. And not enough Canadians are taking advantage of it. So definitely dig into that. Like I said, you can put um, a, a lot more, though, into your RSP. So it's not an exact, you know, Loren was saying, like, uh, for the tax planning at retirement, you can, uh, the contribution room is $6,000 this year. But again, if you have never taken out a TFSA, you've never used it, that room doesn't go away just because you didn't, you know, top it up this year. It hangs around. It waits for you. Same with the RSP for when you've got money uh, to go into it. So, yes, dig into the TFSA. It's a, a brilliant garage, especially if you're unsure. You know, maybe you're still building your emergency savings plan. Maybe you want to open up a business. You're saving for a home. You're not quite sure where your money's going. Um, it, th- that can be a great start. And then you can always later flip it over to an RSP.
Website is kellykeen.com, K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N.com. She's got an updated book, a COVID edition of the latest book, Talk Money to Me. You can find her on social media at kellykeenbiz. Kelly, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time. You you guys make my morning. Thanks so much. Take care. It is 949 on 680 CJOB. Kelly Keene is an author. She's a personal finance educator, a speaker, media personality, consumer advocate, and just an all-around great person. Bringer of donuts. The bringer of donuts, yes. Sorry, I had to get that in. She's already hung up, so she didn't hear that. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Maybe next time. I'll email her. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.